Amen. Check this out. True story. The accident occurred on September 13th, 1848 at a construction site on the east coast of the United States. Now, there was this guy named Phineas Gage. How many guys named your kids Phineas? This is why it's in 1848. Okay, Phineas Gage. Really? Okay, praise God. Okay, uh, Phineas Gage. He was a foreman in 1848. And on this day, he was making a bad decision, right? Listen to this. You see, he was tamping dynamite into a hole with a huge three and a half foot iron rod that weighed over 13 pounds. Yeah, and you guessed it, right? The jarring of the rod ignited the explosives and it blew the rod right out of the hole and right through his head. In fact, here is a representation of what happened to that guy. It went right through his head. Now, here's what's wild. Phineas was taken to the doctor immediately uh, to, quote, plug the holes in his head. Ladies, don't laugh. Okay. Okay, I, I, never mind. Okay. <laughs> but he took him to plug the holes in his head. And now, seriously, he survived this thing, which is what is absolutely crazy. They kept him under observation. But amazingly, he was not only still alive with that in his head, and they had to yank it out, okay, but he was fully conscious the whole time, right? Now, in fact, he experienced no lasting physical handicaps. However, mentally, he had totally changed, okay? Phineas Gage was once considered a mild-mannered gentleman, a very capable foreman, but now he was transformed, listen, into an erratic, irritable, and profane man who never stopped cussing, And because he was no longer a model employee, he used his status to get a job. He got fired, and he used his uh, uh, status to get a job at a freak of nature at Barnum's Museum in New York City. Right? Come see the guy that had a rod in his head. Right? And it was only 12 years after this incident that Phineas Gage died in San Francisco. Now, folks, you seem pretty sharp this morning, but I'm going to ask you this question anyway. I know it might be tough, but uh, how many guys would like to have a steel bar go right through your head? Raise your hand. Right? You know, something to do on a Saturday afternoon, you know, what are you going to do? You get tired of watching cartoons all day? Okay, yeah, okay. But here's my point. The reason why I bring up the story of Phineas Gage, okay, is because whether you realize or not, it's historically one of the most famous examples of something called TBI. Okay, TBI, and that stands for traumatic brain injury, as you could see. That was a traumatic brain injury, okay? Now, as you saw with the case of Phineas, when a person has suffered a traumatic brain injury, uh, they either become a totally different person, or sometimes they literally forget who in the world they are, okay? Now, here's my point. What if I were to tell you I know of not just thousands, but millions of people right now across the world who are suffering from TBI, and get this, they don't even know it. And folks, here's the kicker. Can you guess who those people are? It rhymes with the church. That's right, folks. It's the American church, okay? Why do I say that? Because, folks, we have totally forgotten who we are. And let's be honest, folks. Half the times we're not just acting like practical atheists by forgetting who God is. That was our character of God study, the practical uh, atheist. Remember that thing, the whole premise of that? That was 39 weeks on that. But if we're honest, folks, half the time we're also acting like we got practical amnesia and we're forgetting who we are as the church, Okay, and the point is this, folks. It's not just detrimental in our walk with Christ. That behavior can keep somebody else from coming to Christ. Okay, so in order to avoid this atrocity of you and I as Christians living like we got practical amnesia by not knowing who we are, okay, we're going to begin a new study uh, from the Word of God on the people of God called the character of the church. Okay, and folks, it's pretty simple. Uh, The first thing we need to know about the real church of Jesus Christ, if we're going to stop acting like we got this practical amnesia, is the church is what? We are the body of Christ. In fact, turn to somebody and say, we are the body of Christ, okay? But as always, don't take my word for it. Let's listen to God. So open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. God tells us that we are the body 
of Christ, okay? And let's take a look there, verse 15 through 18. And uh, we're going to be dealing with the supremacy of Christ. He is in charge of everything, right? That's why you can go to sleep at night. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, do not worry about your life. That's why Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, don't be anxious about anything. God is in control. Jesus has got it all under control. He is the head over everything, including, guess what? You and I, okay? The body, the church of Jesus Christ, right? Stalled enough time, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Let's stand as we read God's holy word. Here it is. He, Jesus, in the context, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, meaning the the preeminent one, okay? Uh, For by him all things were created. How many? All things were created, things in heaven or on earth, visible or invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and what? For him, he, Jesus, keep going, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the what? The church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he, Jesus, might have supremacy. You may be seated there. But folks, here we are, a classic passage dealing with the deity of Jesus Christ, one of many ones in the scripture, okay? The Bible says that Jesus clearly is the head or the chief authority over what? Not just everything, not just the universe, not just that which we can see, even that which we can't even see, which even means like things that you can't see, like the atomic structure, everything. Which, by the way, if you read when the uh, next judgment is coming, when God's going to make everything go up into a flaming fireball, Okay, in Second Peter, at the end of the millennial kingdom, uh, literally God gives a command and even the atomic structure, the protons, everything just goes whoosh, and creates a giant atomic bomb, if you will. Everything goes up in smoke, not just the earth, but the universe. Then comes the new heavens and the new, new earth. Why? Because he's in charge of everything. He's the one who created everything. He created us. He created the universe. He hope, holds, he sustains it all together. And when he wants those protons to fly apart, guess what's going to happen? It's exactly what's going to happen. It says that even the elements melt in the heat down to the atomic structure. Jesus is head over everything. Now, again, not just with the universe, but what do he say? He's also the head of the church. It says it right there, okay? Why? Because we are the body of Christ. We're the body. He's the head, okay? Now, here's my point. I mean, surely we all know this, right? I mean, John, this is just basic Christianity, Everybody knows this when you first get saved. I mean, every Christian knows the basic biblical truth that, that, that we're the body of Christ. That's simple, right? Well, you think so, but apparently we got some problem. Listen to our verbiage, folks, what we're doing. It's, it's, we're like, we're suffering from TBI. We, we've forgotten. We got practical amnesia. Who are we? And, and the reason why, listen to what we say. The first problem we say, folks, is we, we don't say that we're the body of Christ. No, no, we say the church is a building, in fact, folks, I was amazed when I came across my research. I, I believe I've discovered in the scripture the first account of a church building program. I'm serious, man. Watch this. I'm going to share it with you. Matthew 16, verse 18. It says there's, and Jesus speaking, he says, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my what? Church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So folks, right here, I mean, listen to what we're saying. I mean, apparently, this is the very first recorded Christian building program. I mean, what did Jesus say here? He said, I'm going to build myself a, a church, a building, right? And, and, and he's got to be speaking about a big old building with a, a steeple and stained glass windows because that's what you're supposed to do. And apparently, this thing is going to be OSHA approved because not even hell itself can knock this thing down. It's going to be a powerful structure. And hey, you're getting nervous already, aren't you? Yeah. You know where I'm going with this. Excuse me? Folks, if you haven't noticed yet, yes, I'm being sarcastic. And the reason why, because folks, listen to our verbiage. If you listen to most Christians talk, that's exactly what they're saying. 
That's exactly how they would interpret that passage. Uh, he's, he's building a building. Because we think the church is a building instead of the body of Christ. The church is not a building. The church is us. Jesus Christ is the head. The church is not a place you go. It's the people of God, that which we are. With Jesus being supreme at the top. That's what the scripture says. And so my point is, why would we do this? Why in the world? Come on, this is basic Christianity. The church is the body of Jesus Christ. How, how did it get turned into a building? Well, i got a couple theories. And uh, it goes like this. The first reason is we just simply repeat what others say and do. Oh, by the way, that's the problem. Not what God says, what other people say and do. And it just keeps going on generation after generation after generation. Okay, it's the ultimate bad habit. We say all kinds of things. We have no idea where they came from, let alone if they're even true. Now, and, then, and this is just common knowledge. Okay, let me give you a couple of easy examples. of We do this still to this day. And we've never even investigated the facts. But you just got to say it. The first one is this. How many guys ever heard the same and or repeated the same? And maybe you still repeat it today. Hey, an apple a day keeps the... Where'd that come from? And why is it that we inherently all know that? Have you ever thought about that? And, and by the way, is it even true? We, no, we don't even ask. We just repeat all kinds of things that we know nothing about and you just do it. Right? Well, I did the research, inquiring minds want to know, and here's where that phrase came from. Listen to this. Back in the 1800s, apple sales began to drop, and the apple growers blamed it on, guess who? The Christians. Because we kept saying that the apple in the Genesis account was responsible for the fall of man. Bad press. (laughs) True story. So farmers came up with this slogan to boost their sales, and apparently it worked because we not only keep saying, but we keep buying those apples to keep the doctor away. I was, and we're still saying this thing. We don't even know what it's doing. Oh, and by the way, uh, if you want to get something, uh, they say, well, it's good in vitamins. Well, actually, if you, want, if you want to get something high in vitamin C, lemons blow apples out of the water. So even that, that's not even true. But, but that's, why do we do that? Who started that? And why do we still do it today? We don't even know where it comes from. Let me give you another easy example, and especially for Christians. This is something that is the law. Why is it every time, every time, when somebody sneezes, you got to say what? God bless you. Or if you want to sound like you're a lingui- you know, good on language, you just say, Gesundheit. Right? Which, uh, in theory, is German. But anyway, right? But why do we say that? It's like it's hidden rule. And if you don't do it, you're not a Christian. Right? It's everywhere. We'll do it here. We'll do it in public. We'll do it in family. Where we- Has anybody ever realized... Where does that come from? Why do we do that? Oh, and by the way, I kid you not, why is it only specifically, not we just say that, but why is it we only do it on a sneeze? How come we don't do it when somebody coughs? Why not? It, you know, so we not only do it, but it only can be done on a sneeze. Who, who made up that rule? Now, believe it or not, I'm not joking. In Bible college, I decided to try it, put it to the test on a cough. Right? I, I'm not joking. Every time, everybody in class, you know, do sneeze. You know, I had three and a half hours of lecture at night. And so you're sitting there, and anytime somebody's going to sneeze, every, you know, 15 super spiritual Christians, God bless you, 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 God bless you. Right? And so I'm saying, well, why is it always a sneeze? Why is it not a cough? I, I kid you not. I actually waited one time. I decided to test it on a cough. And uh, so I waited for somebody to cough, and I declared out loud, of course, I was the only one, I said, God bless you. <laughs> Man, you would have thought I turned into the Antichrist or something. It was just like, the, the looks I got, like, oh, you broke the law. Don't you know that's only supposed to be on a sneeze? I kid you not, or whatever. 
And, uh, but, but anyway, so I'm going, like, well, but why do we do this? We repeat this, and we don't even realize what's going on. Well, f- well, believe it or not, folks, I did the research. Back in the Dark Ages in Europe, during the, the uh, spiritual Dark Ages of Roman Catholicism, very superstitious, obviously not biblical, this is where it started. It's how far back this goes. And back then, they thought that a sneeze, listen, a sneeze was caused either by demons leaving the body or that when you sneezed, it left your body vulnerable for demons to enter the body. And so they would do one of two things. Watch this. One, they would make the sign of the cross in front of your mouth, okay, which is where we get the custom of covering our mouth with the sneeze. It used to be the cross. And second, they would say, God bless you as a way of asking God to protect you from demonic harm. And that isn't just something back from the 1800s with the apple growers. That's back in the dark ages, and we still do it. Why? We repeat what others say and do all the time. We don't even think about it. It just moves on to the next generation, okay? But that's not to have a... We don't repeat what others say. Man, we do what others do. And we don't even ask why, okay? This is a classic example, true story. Watch this. There was a husband and wife who'd been married for a little while. And the husband noticed, listen, every time his wife would make meatloaf. Now, let's stop right there because you guys need to learn this important truth. In my house, we don't call it meatloaf. It's called cow cake, because it's cow, and you put it in a cake pan. Let's just deal with fat. Let's close in prayer, because that's the only thing you need to learn today. No, just kidding, right? But she's making meatloaf, cow cake, right? She's making meatloaf, right? But every single time the husband noticed, here's what she would do. She would cut a portion of the meatloaf off on both ends before she would put it in the pan. And, and just throw it away. And so for the life of him, he couldn't figure it out. And to him, she's wasting perfectly good meat. Why are you doing this? Why, and he asked her, he says, why do you lop off both ends of the meatloaf before you stick into the pan? To which, true story, she replied, I don't know. That's the way my mom always did it. So I kid you not, they call up the mom and ask her, why did she lop off both ends of the meatloaf before she put it in the pan? And she says, I don't know. That's the way your grandmother always did it. I'm not kidding. So they actually tracked down the grandma and asked her, why do you lop off both ends of the meatloaf before you stick in the pan? Listen, the grandmother replied back in her earlier days, the pan that she had to cook meatloaf in was too small. So in order to get it to fit, she had to chop off both ends of the meatloaf. (laughs) And people were still doing it two generations later. I have no idea why. That's just what you're supposed to do. This is my point. We do all kinds of things, folks, even as Christians, just like that. We don't even think about it. Maybe it's, maybe it's the way you decorate your house for the holidays, right? Because that's the way my family did it, right? How many guys ever strung popcorn on a needle, right, through that? Remember that? That was like a torture technique. That was your way the parents got back at you, right? First of all, talk about monotonous, man. And then how many times did you poke your finger, trying to go through the kernel and whatever, Whatever, apparently I had a rough childhood. But anyway, so, but, uh, but no, seriously, the way we decorate our house, where did that come from? Oh, this is my wife, doesn't it? Or, or the way you set the table, or, you know, the holiday, the way you discipline your kids, how you interact as husband and wife, you know, that's, that's how mom and dad did it. But here's my point, whatever it is, it's obvious, we not only say what others say, we do what others do, listen, all the time without even thinking about it. I said all that to get to this point. If we are not careful as Christians and we don't pay attention to this unfortunate tendency to repeat what others say and do, it's going to spill over in what we say and do as Christians, okay? And, we're, and we just keep doing it, okay? Now, let me give you back some proof. Remember, Colossians 1, the church is the what? It's the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. He's the head. We're the mouthpiece, the eyes, the hands, the feet, right? 
That's the truth. That's the biblical truth. But listen to our words. I'll guarantee if somebody asked you before this sermon, if somebody asked you on Sunday mornings, hey, where are you going to go today? Sunday morning. What would you say? Well, I'm going to. No, you're not. No, you're not. We are the church. The church is not a building, not some place you go. This is a sanctuary. This is a church building. But we are the church. Do you see how easy it is? We don't even know who we are. Right? That's one, okay? We're the body of Christ. How about this one? Hey, guys, uh, you, you won't believe it. I mean, somebody, somebody stole all the office equipment, the computers. They broke into the... Yeah, you're still nervous, aren't you? No. Broke into... You can't, how do you, you can't break into the church. Breaking into the church would require surgery. We're the church. Not a building. Let me give you one more, right? We do this all the time. Hey, folks, I got bad news for you. Um, uh, you know, um, we're going to have to get this on the prayer chain Saturday night. Uh, no need to come to uh, church services because an arsonist came and they burned down the church. No, they didn't. If you and I were to burn down, that's called spontaneous combustion, right? But what are we doing, right? We, 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 we're acting like it's what? A building. And again, you might be sitting there going like, Pastor Billy, gee whiz, did somebody spray chicken juice on you? Did somebody make chicken spaghetti and you're just over the edge about that? For our Italian cook-off contest? I mean, so what? So what? Well, you, come on. Yeah. So we say and do things and we imply that the church is a building instead of the body of Christ. What's the big deal? Folks, I'll tell you exactly what the big deal is. If we can't stop repeating a simple false belief, basic Christianity, that the church is a building instead of what we just read clearly in Scripture, we are the body of Christ, then guess what? If we don't catch that behavior, then you're going to start repeating and saying and doing other things that are also unbiblical. And can I tell you something? That's been happening for a long time, folks. Let's take a look at what's going on in the American church today. It's all messed up. 80% of Christians say the Bible teaches that God helps those who help themselves. You know what the problem with that is? It's not even the Bible. And yet, they keep saying it. They keep doing it, right? Well, that's just the tip of the iceberg. 12% say that the name of Noah's wife was Joan of Arc. <laughs> what? That's wrong on a multitude of levels, right? 49% says the Bible teaches that money is the root of all evil. No, it's not. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Satan is the root of all evil. Okay? Half Christians keep repeating that. It's not even biblical. Right? And that's our witness to the lost. 56% say the Bible proclaims that the single most important task in life is taking care of one's family. No, it doesn't. The Bible says you're to love God first and foremost with all your heart, mind, and soul. Number two, love your neighbor as yourself. Read the scripture. Not even getting that one correct. 65% of Christians say that Satan does not even exist. You've got to be kidding me, folks. I wonder who came up with that lie. But it's not just he came up with a lie. Who's repeating the lie? It's like, what Bible are you reading? Right? 29% of so-called Christians say that when Jesus lived on earth, he committed sins like everybody else. Excuse me, you better read 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, and by the way, if he committed sin like one-third of the supposed church is saying, then he's still stuck in the grave. And Paul says if he's still stuck in the grave, then listen, our faith is futile. We're still stuck in our sins. In other words, we're still going straight to hell. And yet one-third, you just keep saying it. Like it's no big deal. You've got to be kidding me. 55% of so-called Christians say the Bible has errors in it. No wonder you don't listen to it. No wonder you don't read it. No wonder you don't take it serious, okay? 25% of so-called Christians agree it doesn't matter what faith you follow because all paths lead to heaven. Excuse me, you just called Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the head of the church, a liar. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father except by me. Excuse me? And you keep repeating that lie over 
and over and over again. 49% of pastors in the American church today no longer have a biblical worldview. No wonder things are messed up. One out of every two church services on average, the guy behind the pulpit, he ain't thinking biblically. He ain't teaching biblically. He's not living biblically. He's not encouraged. No wonder it's messed up. But guess what, folks? It spills downhill. Because here's the other fact. 93% of Christians no longer have a biblical worldview. Can we flip that around? On average, I hope it's not true here at Sunrise. But if that were true, okay, only 7% of people attending today are thinking biblically. And folks, I don't know that that's that really that far off because what do we keep saying with our mouth? Yep, let's go to... You don't go to church. We are the church. Oh, man, somebody broke into the... You can't break into the church. That's surgery. Oh, man, it, it, just, it, it just caught on fire. The church burned down. Excuse me? And we keep repeating over and over again. We act like it's not a big deal. Hey, folks, here's my premise. If we can't stop repeating what others say and do, then we're going to start falling for all kinds of other lies too. And guess what's happening? It's already happening. And if we can't even figure out who we are as believers in Christ, then how in the world do we expect the world to know, to understand, and even to be able to receive the real Jesus Christ? Because we're preaching a false gospel and a false Christ. We're not paying attention to what we're saying and we're doing. We're saying the church is a building. And can I, can I tell you something? Isn't that what the world thinks? They think they're going to a church service. They think that the church is going to build, burn down. Can we show them the real thing? They say, oh, no, no, no. See, that's just a place where we meet. That's just a building. We are representatives of Jesus Christ. Oh, and dare I say, that might start cleaning up some behavior, isn't it? Because when you realize that we are the body of Christ then we're supposed to act like, think like, behave like, speak like him. Ooh. So isn't it more convenient to think, oh no, it's a building. And somehow you're separate from emulating and being conformed to the image of Christ and being a powerful, positive witness. Interesting. The second problem we have is not only say that the church is a building. Get this, man. This is bad. You talk about a worldly influence. We say the church is the body of man. It's all about me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity. Yeah, excuse me? You might want to read your Bible. When you got saved, guess what? You belong to Jesus Christ. He bought you more than fair and square. And I'm glad he did, me personally. But here's what the Bible says, right? Basic Christianity, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Do you not know that your body is a what? It's a temple of who? The Holy Spirit belongs to God, who is in you, whom you receive from God. He gets even more blunt. You are what? You are not your own. Turn to somebody and say that. You are not your own. Why? Because you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Interesting. Okay? So the Bible says that when we get saved, we what? We don't belong to ourselves anymore. We've been bought at a price. The precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so here's the point. Come on, this is basic Christianity. We didn't have to go into some secret hidden southern Greek to figure this out, John. We didn't have to pray and fast 15 years. Go to those prayer and fasting conferences with meals included. We didn't have to do any of that stuff. It's obvious in the scripture that when we get saved, this life is his life. And aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad? I, man, when I got saved, when I, I was 25, I was, that was part of my prayer. God, I am sick and tired of being the captain of this ship. I have ran into ground so many different times. I don't want this life. If you want this life, you can have it. And praise God, he took it. And he forgave it. 
and he does it. But the, the Bible says we are bought at a price, okay? And again, you think that's just basic Christianity. <laughs> we all know that, right? That, that, that we don't belong to ourselves, right? We, but we belong to Jesus. Folks, you listen to our verbiage, folks, and that's not the case. You listen to Christians today, and, and you think that they still belong to themselves, right? They act like they're still the master of their destiny. They're still the ones who are in control. And so the question is, why would we do this? Well, once again, I got a, a premise here, and hopefully you're starting to see a pattern. The first reason is we repeat what society says. Key word there, society. Oh, by the way, not what Scripture says. We just quoted Scripture. We repeat what society says, okay, when it comes to whose life is this anyway, right? We live in a society, folks. We are completely inundated in this, in this horrible anti-biblical lie. We live in a society that absolutely hates and utterly detests the thought that you do not belong to yourself, right? I mean, why to do anything else is not only a sign of weakness, but societal blasphemy. Everywhere we turn life, it's all about you, you, you. You got to love yourself. You got to esteem yourself. It's all about your life. If you don't love yourself, how can you love other people? Excuse me, it ain't about you. You want to esteem somebody? What's the scripture say? Esteem others better than yourself. Right? You want to love somebody? We already quoted the passage. You love God first. Oh, and then your neighbor, you're down the list. You don't come first. Oh, oh, you want to be Jesus' disciple? The first thing he says, you must deny yourself. Pick up your cross and come follow me. Oh, by the way, that is continuance in the Greek there, John. Okay, so it means, and come follow him so as to make it a daily habit of life. Not when it's convenient, not when you like it, not when it works with your schedule. Every day you're following him and it's about him. It's his body, it's his life. But no, listen to the words in the church. It's in the church. It's, it's all about you. And that's the mindset when people come. It's about me. And if you don't do what me wants, me will leave. We'll leave. Because we're here to worship Jesus Christ, not you. We're not here to provide you a religious service. We're here to worship God. And we're to be disciples of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. But listen to people. Oh, no, it's about me. You've got to have my programs, what I want, me, my, me, my. You're your own person. You can do whatever you want. You've got to love yourself. You're the center of the universe. You're the only person that matters in life. It's all about you, you, you. We've talked about this so many times before. Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, the fall of Satan. What caused the fall of Satan? He had an eye problem. The word sin, S-I-N. Every time you sin against God or I sin against God, what's that middle letter? I. Because at that moment, think about it. When we sin, when we disobey God, what are we saying? I will do what I want, not what God wants. That's called sin. And the very fall of Satan was caused of that. I will be like God. I will arise to the mount of sin. I will be like God. That's Satan. The number one law of Satan is what? Do what you will shall be the whole of the law. But that's the marching orders for today. I expect that from society, but not the church. But people come to a church service. And it's about me. And if you don't give me what I want. Oh, by the way, maybe I'll leave, maybe I won't. But if I stay, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to act like Satan. And I'm going to stir up trouble until I get what I want. Whoa. What did the scripture say? You are not your own. The church is the body of Jesus Christ. He's the head. He's in charge. This is his life. He bought it more than fair and square. And we're coming here to worship him. 
to learn about him, to grow in him, to serve him by serving other people. But again, how many times have you heard Christians say that? You're, oh, man, you're, you're getting too far out there. You're going a little crazy again. You're getting animated, right? But listen to people's phrases all the time, right? Okay, we, we, we repeat what society says. We repeat this lie. And again, I can get society that they don't know better. They don't have the spirit of Christ, 1 Corinthians 3. But we do, if we're saved. And we, I mean, gee, gee, I wonder what God wants me to do with my life. I sure need a change in my life. I'm so glad that I asked Jesus to come into my life. Excuse me? You know how unbiblical that is? What's the Bible say? This is not your life. We've been bought at a price. We belong to Jesus, not us. The second reason why we do that, we don't just, again, just keep repeating what society says instead of what the Scripture says. We even repeat what society sings. This blows me away, right? I mean, it's bad enough we don't pay attention to what society says and we repeat it instead of what the Scripture says about our identity, who we are, okay? But we don't pay attention to the songs they sing. And again, just like the first point, we just keep doing it, keep doing it. We don't even ask where it comes from. It's just something you got to do. Now, when it comes to music that we repeat and do, and we don't even, let me give you a couple easy examples, right? How many guys have ever heard this cool song growing up and you probably even taught it to your kids, right? Or grandkids, what have you. But here it goes, ready? Las Vegas style. Three blind mice. See how they run. They all ran after the farmer's wife who cut off their tails with a carving knife. Did you ever see such a sight in your life as three blind You're scared, aren't you? Three blind mice. Now, folks, that's a great song. That's, that's just one of those songs you've got to learn. That's just like a rites of passage. You have to learn three blind mice. And then you've got to pass it on to your kids. Hey, kids, three blind mice. Have you ever asked yourself where in the world that song came from? Well, guess what? Inquiring minds want to know. I found out. Watch this. The farmer's wife, I'm not joking. The farmer's wife was Queen Mary I of England who got mad at three guys and she killed them. But it wasn't a carving knife. She just burned them at the stake. Isn't that a great song? Hey, kids, let's sing that murder song. Three blind mice. Hey, chop them, kill them, burn them. Yeah. You wonder why they can't sleep. Oh, here's another one. If you didn't sing that one, I'll guarantee you, you sang this one. And you did it with other kids, too. Ring around the rosies. That's the Dean Martin version, apparently. <laughs> Ring around the rosies. Pocket full of posies. Ashes, ashes, we all fall down. Woo! Isn't that a great song? Everybody's got to learn that one. Are you kidding me, folks? Listen, that is a song about the Black Plague. And the stages of death. I'm not making this up. As it turns out, the ring around the rosies spoke of the rosy rash that people got on their cheeks, which was the first symptom of getting that plague. The pocket full of posies. Why did they put posies in their pocket? Listen, were carried in the person to sweeten the air from the stench of death. And then the person would start coughing up flecks of dried blood from their lungs. And it looked like it was ashes, ashes coming out of their mouth. Okay, and the final stages was, yeah, they'd all fall down. They'd die. Hey, kid, when we're done with the murder song, let's sing the Black Plague song. And we got to do it because that's what you do. You just got to sing that song. Folks, here's the point. I mean, that's the funny examples, but here's the... Unfortunate examples. If we're not careful, folks, we don't pay attention. 
And we just let society dictate what we say, what we do, instead of the scripture. We're going to start singing the same, same things. Okay? And it ain't good, folks. It's, it, it's, going to get, it's going to get worse. We've got to get back to the scripture. But you tell me, folks, if we're this far away from what this guy says, pretty soon the world's going to totally dictate our songs. Let's watch this. Uh, I was reading Time magazine about, it was an article, it was in Time, so I knew it, it was probably true. <laughs> so I was reading it, and it was talking about a lot of churches are selling out to corporations all over the world. Churches selling out to corporations, putting up their stuff in their church. You know, can you imagine outside this beautiful building? That'd be a big Nike swoosh. You know, no. Just pew it. No. That'd be wrong. Your pastor silhouette. No. Pretty soon, like, corporations, I know what they're going to do. They're going to, like, take our praise and worship songs, our, you know, songs we love in church, put their words to our music. That's just going to be horrible. One of my favorites is a... Holiness, holiness is what I long for. Holiness is what I need. What's it going to be now? Krispy Kremes, Krispy Kremes are what I long for. Krispy Kremes are what I need. Krispy Kremes, Krispy Kremes are what I want to eat. Take some dough and form it. Add some glaze and warm it. Chew it up. Transform it. <laughs> Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, give me more. Then the car companies will get into it, you know. Ford, I lift your name on high. Ford, I love to sing your praises. I'm so glad you're four-wheel drive. I'm so glad you're fuel-injected. My Dodge is an awesome Dodge. It is such a really nice car, and it drives me really, really, oh, my touch is an awesome time. Better is Hyundai than a Ford. Better is Hyundai than a Jeep. Better is Hyundai than a Chevy or a Yugo. Better is Hyundai. Better is Hyundai. You know what's going to happen? Yeah, I can't believe it's not butter people. They're going to catch on. And then it'll get really weird. I can only eat margarine. It's all I can do. Because I don't like butter or butter substitute. I can only eat margarine. Yeah. Surrounded by some biscuits Or on a piece of bread Or on top of a Cheez-It It's an artificial spread Oh, I can't live without it I eat it all of my grub And sometimes I just take a spoon And eat it right out of the plastic tub I can only eat margarine Yeah I can only eat 
How many guys are going to be singing those songs on the way home? Yeah, we're going to start repeating it, okay? But my point is, did you see what he said there at the beginning, the actual trend in the church? We are living in a day when the church is actually selling out to corporations, right? We're, we're listening to the world, the corporations, the world, the secular entities. They begin to dictate what we say, what we do, even what we sing. So all kidding aside, those kind of worship songs probably ain't that far away. But folks, I'm here to tell you the worldly influence is already here. Go back to our text. We are the body of Christ, and whose life does this belong to? Jesus. But listen to the songs that we sing even today in the church. And it's been going on for quite some time. How many guys ever sing this song? Oh, that's a great song, right? In my life, Lord, be glorified. It ain't your life. Why are you singing my life? How's that to be a worship song to Jesus when it's my life? It's not what the scripture says. As if God's death? Oh, oh, here's one, right? My life is in you, Lord. My, 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 what? Man, that was a great time. We had a great time of worship. Worshiping who? You or God? And again, you think, well, Pastor Billy, you're just getting all, all weird. You're, you're making a mountain out of a molehill. You're just getting all freaked out about this chicken spaghetti thing or something. I don't know. I mean, so what? So what? So we sing songs that imply we belong to ourselves. We act like that. Folks, if we can't even get that right, and if we're showing that we will say and do and even sing what society says and we're off track on Scripture, do you think that maybe it's going to mean that we're going to start repeating other false behavior too? Well, guess what? It's already happening. Okay, let me give you a couple of these unfortunate stats. 47% of Christians don't have a commitment to the Christian faith as top priority. Take it or leave it. Maybe if it works here with your schedule. That's half the so-called church, right? Why? Because society says it's what? It's all about you. Do what you want. Hey, maybe sprinkle some on for God later. Society's dictating your behavior. Here's another one. 58% don't have being active in a local church as one of their top goals in life. Although that we know that we're not saved by works, but Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 10 says that God saved us in advance to do the good works that he prepared for us to do. That's why when we get saved, we're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, who's not just our deposit, our guarantee that we're not going to hell, we're going straight to heaven, but he gives us spiritual gifts to serve the church. But nearly 60% say, nah, I'm not, it doesn't even enter my brain. Why? Because it's all about you. Do what you want. It's all about you. Who's dictating your behavior? The scripture? Or society. Folks, we're doing the same thing. 42% say it's more important to achieve success or win acceptance from others than to please God. You better read the Bible. If there's anybody you want to please, it is Almighty God. Folks, we got to get back on track. 35% of Christians say to get by in life these days, sometimes you got to bend the rules for your own benefit. You know what that is? It's called lying, it's called cheating, it's called deceit. What? Well, that's what the world does. It's all about you. I've got to rise to the top. I'll do what it takes. It ain't about you. This is not your life, Christian. It's about being an example. When people see you, when they see me, they see Jesus. Why? Because he's the head of the body, which is us, the church, and it's his life. We're to be the walking advertisement for Jesus. What we say, what we do, what we believe, how we act and react should be just like Jesus because we're the only Bible they'll ever see. But we can't even get that right. It's all about me. And it's reflective in our behavior. 50% of Christians say there is no absolute truth. 
They not only say the Bible has errors in it, there is no absolute truth. Excuse me, God said, absolutely, you shall have no other idols before me. Absolutely, you shall worship him. Absolutely, you shall not steal. You shall. Those are absolute statements. And when Jesus said he is absolutely the only way to heaven, that's the way it is. What do you mean there are no absolutes? Because that's what society says, right? You get to make up the rules. It's all about you. You determine what's right and wrong. That's not what God says. Folks, these stats are from the church. We're so far off base. 33% of Christians say homosexuality is perfectly fine. Excuse me, you better read Leviticus 19 that God calls an abomination. You better see what happened with the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. It wasn't because they were playing poker. They were committing homosexual acts. Okay? You better read Romans chapter 1 that talks about homosexuality and lesbianism, folks. It's all of the scripture, Old and New Testament. But again, see, that's what society says. You just got to love everybody. If somebody's involved in a behavior that's going to keep them from Christ, and not just homosexuality, all sin is sin. And if that sin isn't dealt with through the cross of Jesus Christ, then that person is going to hell. I don't care what sin it is. Could be that, it could be whatever. But how are you loving somebody when you refuse to love them to tell the truth that you are in need of a Savior, Jesus Christ? You need to come to him to have your sins forgiven, okay? Uh, and, but you're not going to say that because I don't want them to be offended. Excuse me? I don't want to scare them off with all this hell talk. Where are you going to scare them off to? Hell number two? If you love somebody, you love them enough to tell them the truth. Now they're going to want to hear it. Well, well, you see, you know what they know. That they need to understand there's a danger. And because I love you, I will love you enough to speak up. Even if you hate me for it. That's true love. That's what the world needs to see, not a compromise. 39% of Christians say it's okay for couples to live together before marriage. Excuse me? What Bible are you reading? John chapter 4, that's just one passage, folks. Jesus, he confronts the woman at the well. What's going on there? She brings him, gets him some water, and he says, hey, go get your husband. He knew. He's God. He's trying to get her to cough up her sins so it can be dealt with, right? And she says, sir, I don't have a husband. He says, yeah, I know you don't have husbands. You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with is not, was he condoning her behavior or calling it out on the carpet? You know why Jesus called on the carpet? Because sin hurts, sin harms, sin destroys. And he loved her enough to say, you know what? You need to turn from that. But how about us? In the church, almost 40% say, nah, no big deal. Excuse me, you just called Jesus a liar again. And in one stat, in one area, Christians were more likely to get a divorce than non-Christians. We had a higher percentage, 27%. And yet we say, you need Jesus. It's God's way. And he's, apparently we ain't following it, right? And this one, 49% of Christians today don't have a problem with the distribution of pornography. Half the church. Excuse me? Destroying lives all across the planet, but eh, no big deal. Don't worry about that. And in one teenage, this was a teenage survey, 64% of those teenage Christians said it's okay to be a Christian and a witch. What? And then you wonder why when we're out there, you know, after maybe a stirring sermon and we felt very guilty because we haven't been sharing the gospel, being a witness for Jesus Christ, and we're out there and we share Jesus with him, or at least so we think and hope, and you wonder why people don't respond. Are they even getting the gospel? Do you even know what the gospel is? I mean, according to that, and you think that all paths lead to heaven and Jesus sinned like everybody else? And all sin is perfectly okay? What gospel are you getting? Probably not the biblical one. But even if you somehow were to pull off giving them the gospel, what are they seeing in your life to back it up? 
Are they seeing the holiness of God? Are they seeing Jesus Christ in you, reflected in your words, your action, your behavior, how you react to suffering, to insults, to privations, to persecution? Or are you just acting, speaking, singing, just like the rest of the world? It's all about me. Don't you dare mess with me. I'll get you back. That's eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. No wonder nothing's happening. No wonder things are messed up. Folks, if we can't stop repeating what society says, and society even sings, we're going to start doing the very same thing. In fact, we already are. And the problem is, folks, when people do come looking, they come in our midst for the real Jesus, if we don't change this behavior, they ain't going to find him. In fact, they're not only not going to find him, we are going to chase them out of here. This is a true story. It's a high school girl. She wrote this to her so-called Christian friend after she was invited to this Christian friend's church service. Here's what she experienced. Here's what she said. She said, I attended your church service yesterday. And although you had invited me, you were not there. I looked for you, hoping to sit with you, but I sat all alone. As a stranger, I wanted to sit near the back, but those rows were totally packed with regular members. So an usher took me to the front, and I felt like I was on parade. Very uncomfortable. During the singing of the hymns, I was surprised to note that some of the church people, they weren't even singing. Between their sighs and yawns, they just stared into space. Three of the kids that I respected on campus were whispering to one another throughout the whole service. Another girl was nonstop giggling the whole time. I I really didn't expect that at your church service. The pastor's sermon, it was very interesting. Although some of the members didn't seem to think so, they looked bored and restless. One kept smiling at someone in the congregation the whole time. There were several people who, who, who left and then came back during the sermon while he was preaching. I thought, how rude. I, 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 I could hear constantly shuffling of the feet and the doors opening and closing as the pastor was speaking about the reality of faith. Listen. She said, the message got to me. And I made up my mind to speak to someone about it after the service. But utter chaos reigned after the benediction. I said good morning to one couple, but their their response was less than cordial. I looked for some teens with whom I could discuss the sermon with, but they were too busy, huddled in a corner, talking about the latest new music group. And she says this, my parents don't go to church services, and I came alone yesterday hoping to find a place to truly worship God and to feel some love. Quote, I'm sorry, but I didn't find it at your church services, quote, and I won't be back. Why? Because we're not being that which we are. We're supposed to be the body of Christ. And you look at a lot of our behavior, folks, in the American church today, it's like we are suffering from TBI. We're like Phineas Gage, the religious version. It's like we got a bar going through our head. It's like we, like we got practical amnesia. We've totally forgotten who we are. But here's the point. It's one thing for us to do that. Do you understand the unfortunate side effect? That when we do this, what was it doing to that girl? That was a true story. It doesn't just affect our walk with Jesus Christ. It kept that girl from coming to Christ. And then it happens the next week. And then the next person. And then the next week. And then the next week. And then we actually expect to get to see Jesus face to face and hear, well done, thou good and faithful. Really? What were we serving people? What did they see from us? Folks, you're going to hear this Lord willing through our study, but this is the bottom line. If we can't stop playing church instead of being the church, then maybe it's time you get out of the church. 
Why? Because being a Christian is not a game. What we say and do literally affects people's eternal destinies all around us. It's high time. We have got to get rid of this practical amnesia. We've got to remember who we are. The church is not a building. It doesn't belong to ourselves. The church is a body. It's the body of Jesus Christ. That's what Vegas is waiting to see from us. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying, okay? How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand, okay? Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well... You guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the Scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step, to admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place, so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy 
through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him and disqualified us that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know it's actually on historical record that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey, folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave. And the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.